0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church, Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it.
1: I'm very excited to be with you this morning by way of video. Jesse Forney was kind enough to come to our home uh, to record me today uh, because I am still actively recovering from COVID. Now I'm I'm over the virus, but man, do I have COVID brain. So if this makes any sense today at all, it's only by the grace of God, (laughs) Um, because it's hard for me right now to put a thought together with another one, but I will tell you this, God is faithful. And he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So let's ask him now together um, to bless our time. Father, thank you so much that you are faithful in all your ways. And I praise you, God, that I can trust you to speak through me to the hearts and minds of your people right now. Lord, we come before you now and acknowledge your sovereignty over our lives. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are light, that you are love, and that you are life and that you long for us to experience the fullness of you. We bow down before you now and ask that you would teach us as only you can. We pray this in your precious name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, amen. Grace Fellowship Church, I'm excited to be with you now in week three of our little mini-series called Foundations of Everyday Discipleship. And last week, Pastor Mark did a phenomenal job of helping us understand the life or death choices that we have in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to pick up on our conversation about what it means to be an everyday disciple of Jesus. Now remember, we gave you a little definition so far, and it was actually kind of long. It goes like this, the Holy Spirit powered life of dependence. I'm going to stop there. You can read through the rest of the definition, but I want you to know that that line in and of itself is really the definition of what it means to be a disciple. The Holy Spirit powered life of dependence on God, period. If we trust the Lord in such a way that he actually comes to us and moves through us, then we're trusting him and the Holy Spirit to live the life of dependence and surrender that he longs for us to live. I wanna say this very clearly, discipleship is a process It's not an event, so many of us, myself included, would like it to be an event. I would just say, Lord, could you just please get this done like by the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month, like just make me new all at once. And I don't know how many of you are like me, I'm sure quite a few, but that's not the way it works. It takes a lifetime to be made like Jesus. And this side of heaven, none of us will be fully made like him. But the scripture is clear, when we see him face to face, Then we will know fully and we will be made fully like Jesus Christ. Praise God. But In the meantime, we're all in process. And so this, this process of living a life of dependence on God, on trusting on him so that his love would come to us and move through us, that's what discipleship is all about. Remember, we said that Jesus talked a lot about disciples. He said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples in that you love one another. So the definitive mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ is not the amount of scripture you know or how big of a Bible you carry. The definitive mark of your discipleship is love. So I ask you this question in week one. If you really want to find out how you're doing as a disciple, ask yourself this question. How well am I loving those who are closest to me? Well, if you answer that question honestly, you might find that you have some room to grow. And this is the first step that I want to start with today. Step one really is admitting that we're not as loving as we think we are. If we really want to get serious about being a disciple, we have to acknowledge our desperate need for God and our need for growth in becoming more like Jesus. Now, for some of us, this may be easy. For others of us, not so easy. Some of us end up finding fault with ourselves in areas that we're really not even responsible or at fault with, and then we actually end up missing the places where we're supposed to own things. Others of us, myself included at times, think we're far more righteous than we really are. We think that the problem is with the people out there. You see, that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that we don't think we're the problem and we are the problem. Leo Tolstoy said this, he said, everybody thinks about changing the world, but no one thinks about changing themselves. C.S. Lewis said this incredible phrase. He said, the nostril of the true Christian should be ever attentive to the inner cesspool. Isn't that a beautiful thought? But see, Lewis and Tolstoy knew something that the scripture proclaims, that every single one of us sin. And I am my own worst problem. Would you be willing to say that after me? Don't say Jeff is my own worst problem. I want you to say after me, with me, I am my own worst problem. Let's say that together. I am my own worst problem. Problem. And wherever I go, there I am. Truth be told, we need to understand something about our personal responsibility before God. The scripture says that each one will give an account. That doesn't mean you're going to give an account for your wife and what she did, or your husband and what he did, or your kid and what your kid did. You're not going to give an account for your neighbor or the people around you or the people in your Bible study. You are going to stand before God one day, and I am going to stand before God one day and give an account of the way that I lived my life, the decisions that I made in trusting God and being a conduit for his love. Each one of us will give an account When we talk about everyday discipleship, when we talk about confessional community, we're talking about the truth that God longs for each one of us to take response, ableness for our lives before him and stop the blaming and the shaming, my Lord, during this season of chaos and conflict, there's been more mudslinging, I can't, I can't even imagine, just let's take the mask thing, or the vax thing, or let's take the political thing, or whatever it might be, there has been more and more mudslinging and people pointing fingers than I've seen in a long time, but this is nothing new. This is in our very nature to blame others rather than look at ourselves. The scripture is clear. We're supposed to look at ourselves and we're supposed to admit that we need change. Let me ask you a question. Would the world be a better place if everybody in the world admitted their sin and owned their sin and repented of their sin? Oh my gosh, you gotta say yes. I would just love it for one politician to admit their sin. But but truth be told, let's, let's bring this back a little bit closer to home. Would the church of Jesus Christ burn brighter if we in the church would be more effective witnesses and acknowledge and own our own sinful behaviors and attitudes? Of course the church would burn brighter. Would our homes and families be different if we were more humble people who owned and acknowledged our faults to each other and saw them clearly and were able to confess them to one another and pray that we would be healed? I hope you're with me in saying a resounding, of course, our homes would be different, our hearts would be different, our families would be different, and the church of Jesus Christ would burn brighter for the glory of God. Well, then here's the question. Why are we hesitant to be honest about our own sinfulness? I want you to sit with that one for a moment. Why are you hesitant to be honest about your own sinfulness? to confess your faults, and to acknowledge the true state of your soul, not just your actions, but your attitudes. You see, this is the testing field. This is where Jesus wants to get us, in our hearts. Why are we hesitant? To answer that question, we have to go back to the beginning. I want to first, before we go there, though, I want to look at this passage from 1 John 5 through 10. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Stop. Light does two primary things. Light reveals and light heals. Light shows up stuff, and then it also brings healing to that stuff, whatever it might be. Light is a transformational presence physically in our lives, and Jesus is light. He is the light of God. Now, listen, when the light shines into us, it says there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Look, this passage is profound. If we walk in the light and we're honest about what we see about ourselves and about God, and we proclaim and confess both the true state of our soul and the truth about him, the scripture says, now we have fellowship with one another. Listen to me if you're lonely in your life. I want you to remember something we've talked about before. Here on planet Earth, you're only loved as much as you're known. The question is, are you in community with at least a couple other brothers and sisters in the Lord that you can be truly honest about the true state of your soul with? Are you allowing the light of God to shine in you in such a way that you have fellowship with others? Look, this was life-changing for me when I began to walk in community with other people that I could be super honest about the true state of my soul with. They would acknowledge my sin, but they would never condemn me. You see, they understood the grace of God. And by the grace of God, I have people in my life like this today. I have a confessional community that I walk with in the light. For if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now listen, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves And the truth is not in us. This is speaking to the word denial. And the scripture says here, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, Jeff, maybe I do have some sin. But it's really not all that bad. Oh, really? <laughs> it's really not all that bad? <laughs> we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but it was bad enough that Jesus Christ had to become man and die for your sin and my sin to buy us back and redeem us. That is far worse than we think it is. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all right, unrighteousness. Well, so listen, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us." Those are some pretty strong words from the Lord to you and me. And I would think that the Lord would want us to actually walk in such a way that we acknowledge our sin. Now in John, it says very clearly why people don't. Listen, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done, whether good or evil, has been done in the plain sight of God. Look, those of us who know Jesus Christ have been set free from the fear of exposure, from the fear of being honest and being real about the true state of our souls. Why? Because God loves us and accepts us right where we are. But he loves us too much to leave us there. He longs for us to be cleansed and be molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ in such a way that his light shines brightly through us to a world that is desperate to know the freedom of god this whole problem of denying sin and hiding from the true reality of what's going on for us this is an old problem we have to go back to the beginning remember if we go back to genesis verse 3 you know prior to that creation was perfect god put man and woman down together And they were both naked and unashamed. This means they were totally vulnerable, totally open, not just physically naked, but emotionally and spiritually in every way, vulnerable, transparent, and there was no shame. And everything was perfect. Folks, think about this. You might want to close your eyes. We were created to live in such freedom, uninterrupted intimacy with God. And as a result of that, uninterrupted intimacy with each other that life had no backbiting, no shame, no pain. There was no relational brokenness. There was no tension and conflict. Everything was perfect the way it was intended to be. And then a lie. A lie was spoken. And if if you read the narrative here in Genesis 3, it says, did God really say, oh, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And She added, "And you must not touch it or you will die. Now listen to what he says. You will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen to the root of this lie. This lie basically is this. You cannot trust God. There's more for you that you can have with your life apart from him. He's holding out on you. Just disobey him and be your own God. And Eve bought it. And Adam bought it. And they both ate. And that led to the first time when we began to hide. Listen. Then a man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let me ask you a question. How smart is it to try and hide from God? <laughs> I mean, we think about how ludicrous this is, and yet we still do it. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Stop. Whenever God asks a question in the scripture, it's not for his benefit. It's for ours. The question could be asked like this, in light of where you were just a few brief moments ago, just a short time ago when everything was perfect and you knew my love and that love came to you perfectly and it moved through you perfectly, what has happened to you now, man and woman? Where are you now? This is a question that we should hear God ask us every day. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid I was naked so I hid myself well man had never known he was naked prior to that he had no self consciousness and God said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from and listen to what the man says the woman that you put here with me she gave some fruit from the tree and then I ate it so basically God it's your fault and her fault The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And she said, well, the devil made me do it. It's everybody else's fault except mine. You see, this is the end of personal responsibility and the beginning of what we call blame and shame. The problem is out there. It's not me. The problem is not me. The problem is not me. But you have to understand you are your own worst problem wherever you go, there you are. Now, if you accept this truth, I'm gonna tell you this truth will be radically freeing for you because now you can focus on what the Lord longs for you to focus on, not changing the people around you, which you're powerless to do, by the way, anyway, but actually allowing the Lord to bring forth change in your life that he longs to bring. But you have to understand this this problem of blame shifting and looking outside of ourselves, it's as old as the story we read. You know, many of us in Christ, we spend too much time hiding, maintaining a facade, trying to kind of maintain an image that we have it together or that things really are all right when inside we know that they're not. Yes, and we can deceive ourselves, but we have to understand something. This hiding is no longer necessary at all. I want to tell you the story of Huru Onada. Haru was a Japanese Imperial Army soldier. He was an intelligent officer stationed in Lumberg Island in the Philippines in World War II. Now, this is a picture of Huru when he was 22 years old and he had been deployed in 1944, December 26th, the day after Christmas, this man had been deployed. And he was deployed into the jungles and he went out into the jungles and he continued to fight the war and, and be an intelligence officer throughout the entire war. See, the problem is, though, when the war ended, Haru did not believe it. He stayed, actually, I believe it was for 29 years in the jungle fighting a war that was no longer actually being fought. Now, people had suspicions that Haru was out there. And they tried to find him. There were people that actually even saw him and yelled to him, hey, Haru, the war is over. But Haru would not believe them. And he kept hiding. He kept hiding for 29 years. And at age 52, he finally walked out of the woods and said, I guess I'm going to believe them that the war is over. Listen to me, son of God, daughter of God, the battle has been won. The war is over. You no longer need to hide. Though your sins are red as crimson, you are now white as snow. You have been redeemed. You have been bought back. You have been freed. And now you can actually be honest about the true state of your soul. Why? Because you are righteous. What does that mean, righteous? Let me ask you a question. It's one of my favorite questions to ask the people of God. But how many of you, just by show of hands, think you're just as righteous and acceptable in the eyes of God as I am? So just show of hands. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully that's a lot of you. How many of you think you're just as righteous and acceptable in the eyes of God as Billy Graham was? <laughs> okay, that's maybe a little harder. Let's get a little harder. How many of you think you're just as righteous and acceptable in the eyes of God as the Apostle Paul? Show of hands. Probably fewer. Probably some hesitation, okay, but let's just go right for the juggler. How many of you believe that you are just as righteous and acceptable in the eyes of God as our Lord jesus christ raise your hands see if you can say that with confidence you understand the gospel but i got to be honest with you that's been a hard question at times for me to answer if you're struggling to say yes i'm just as righteous and acceptable in the eyes of god as christ jesus if there's a part of you that wrestles with that let me tell you you are basing at least in part god's acceptance of you on your performance not on the finished work of Jesus Christ. For God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that you and I would become the righteousness of God. This is called imputed righteousness. Jesus Christ is the righteous one of God, holy in every way. And he gave us his righteousness. He imputed it to us and he took upon himself our sin. And all the wrath of God was satisfied on the son of God. It was poured out on him. That which you and I deserved was given to him who did not deserve it, that we now become the righteous children of God. That is good news. Listen to me. The war is over. You don't have to hide anymore. God has made a way for you. Be righteous in Christ apart from your behavior, anything you have done, or more or less anything you haven't done. You are accepted, you are loved 100% because of what Jesus Christ did for you. When we get this message into our hearts, we become like Haru leaving the jungle. We actually begin to understand that God has made a way for us to walk in the light as he is in the light, so that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. For if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So listen to me as we begin to understand this on a deeper level. I want to read a little bit from our devotional new morning mercies by paul david tripp Um, these are available if you don't have one of these these are available for you today as you leave the sanctuary one per family and i'm going to read from january 5th if you obey for a thousand years you know you're no more accepted than when you first believed your acceptance is based on christ's righteousness and not yours the fact is that sin is a bigger disaster than we think it is, and grace is more amazing than we seem to be able to grasp that it is. No one who really understands what scripture has to say about the comprehensive, every aspect of your person altering nature of sin would ever think that anyone could muster enough motivation and strength to rise to God's standard of perfection. The thought that any fallen human being would be able to perform his or her way into acceptance with God has to be the most insane of all delusions. Yet we all tend to think that we are more righteous than we are. And we think this, we have taken the first step to embracing the delusion that maybe we're really not so bad in God's eyes after all. This is why the reality check of Romans 3.20 is so important. Paul writes, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. If you prayed every moment of your life, you could not pray enough prayers to earn acceptance with God. If you gave every penny of every dollar that you ever earned in every job you ever had, you could not give enough to deserve acceptance with God. If every word you ever spoke was uttered with the purest of conscientious motivations, you would never be able to speak your way into reconciliation with God. If you gave yourself to an unbroken, moment-by-moment life of ministry, you could never minister enough to achieve God's favor. Sin is too big. God's bar is too high. It is beyond the reach of every human being who has ever taken his or her first breath. This is why God... In love, sent his son. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, there was and there is no other way. There's only one portal to acceptance with God, the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness is given over to our account. Sinners are welcomed into the presence of a holy God based on the perfect obedience of another. Christ is our hope. Christ is our rest. Christ is our peace. He perfectly fulfilled God's requirements so that in our sin, weakness, and failure, we would never again have to fear God's anger. Amen. This is what grace does. So as the children of grace, we obey as a service of worship, not in a desperate attempt to do what is impossible, independently earn God's favor. Listen to me. We trust and obey not to be accepted. We trust and obey because we already are. This changes everything. This means that the war is over and we can trust God to actually walk in a way that's different than the way of the world. Now, I wanna point out ways in which we still hide. The first one is called self-justification. Listen, there is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and justified freely by his grace. God is our justifier. He is the one who has justified us. And yet so many of us practice an attempt to actually self-justify. What does this mean? We make up excuses for our sin. Well, I'm only really that way because of my upbringing. If my wife wasn't like that, then I wouldn't be this way. If my husband wasn't like that, then I wouldn't be this way. See, this is called self-justifying. I have this little defense attorney that lives inside of me or stands on my shoulder and just says, my client is really not all that bad. He has reasons. She has reasons why. What we do is we self-justify ourselves. Scripture is clear. We have one who is our justifier. We don't need to self justify anymore. The war has been won. We can lay down that weapon we can be so self-righteous no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law rather through the law we become conscious of sin but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe so many of us act self-righteous what does that mean Well, that means that I compare myself to other people and I feel like I have it more together than they do. Yeah, if my wife would just really understand like I do. If my husband would just understand the way that I do. If they would just be more like me. Well, can I be honest with you? If I had more people like me around me, we would have killed each other a long time ago. (laughs) You see, this whole idea of self-justifying and being self-righteous, these things are not necessary for a child of God. So many of us believe we have to self-protect. We get defensive with the people around us. Is any of this resounding true? Self-justifying, self-righteousness, self-defensiveness. And when we get defensive, we react to people very strongly around us and we try and protect ourselves and we try but here's the truth. God is our protector. Listen to Psalm 18. He is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. He is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have saved from my enemies. Listen to me. Take a little inventory this week of how much you say in order to defend yourself in order to justify yourself and try a little experiment pray and stop just be silent <laughs> just be silent when you're falsely accused of something when you're actually cast in a bad light by someone in your family when something just don't get just go to Jesus just run to Jesus and say nothing and see what he does Entrust your life to him, for he is your justifier. He is your protector. He is your righteousness. And so look, all of this ends up pointing to this truth. You and I are inclined to worship ourselves rather than the God who is forever to be praised. Let me ask you something what do you think about most? It's been said that whatever you think about most is probably truly what you worship. What do you think about most? Let me ask you the question, who do you think about most? I know the answer. It's you. (laughs) It's me. I think about me most. You think about you most. And you see, when we're caught up in this battle that's already been won and we're fighting as if somehow we need to kind of make ourselves righteous and make ourselves justifiable, we're we're fighting a battle that's already been won. And we're using all this energy to focus on ourselves. But God has freed us to worship him, not ourselves. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. This is the grand delusion. Most of us would never say we're God, but we sure act like we are. And the freedom that comes from laying down this heavy facade of self is just so unbelievably beautiful. Jesus has come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and maintaining a facade, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, Jesus has a way for you to walk, being honest about yourself. And all it requires is everything that he's already given us in his spirit, his word, and his people. This is the focus of confessional community, that we rely simply on his spirit, his word, and his people to create an environment of God's grace. Before I knew Jesus many years ago, this about 38 years ago, I walked into confessional communities. I was desperate. I didn't know where else to go. I had tried counseling. I had talked to a lot of people. But I needed, I needed God and I didn't even know I needed God. And I walked into confessional communities and I sat down in these rooms with people that I didn't know and the crazy thing was I sat there in silence. I was scared spitless much of the time. But I listened to them talk and they talked about things that I'd never heard anybody talk about, their own pride their fears, their self-centeredness, their judgments of other people, their lack of forgiveness in their hearts. They talked openly about their sin. And I, I thought, why are people doing this? But they had so much joy. They had so much freedom. And the crazy thing was, after 50 minutes with these people, I didn't know their last names and I didn't know what they did for a living, but I knew them better than anybody I had known in my family of origin. You see, when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And I all, I entered into the fellowship of the humble. I didn't start talking right away, but I kept coming back. Why? Because I knew I wanted what these people had. They had freedom. They had freedom to be honest about the true state of their souls, and they were growing and becoming loving and forgiving people. And I wanted That So I kept coming back. And as I kept coming back, I started bringing the inside to the outside. I started actually becoming open about what was going on inside of me. I call this an environment of God's grace. And can I tell you something? God showed me his character before he told me his name because what I did was I experienced all that grace and then I picked up the Bible and I went, oh my gosh, this is Jesus Christ. He is the author of this grace. He died to give me this freedom. So I went to churches, and I expected churches to be safer than the confessional communities I was a part of. And can I tell you something? Most of them weren't. But That shouldn't be true of us. The church of Jesus Christ should be the safest place on the face of the planet for people to acknowledge the true state of their souls with thoughts and sin and thoughts, thoughts and thoughts indeed that they have committed because this is the place where we know the grace of God. I started breaking the old rules of shame and I started walking in the light as Jesus Christ is in the light and I started experiencing fellowship with other people on a deeper level than they ever have in my entire life. So today I want to invite you to do the same thing. You know, in a week from now, we're gonna actually open confessional community to the whole of the fellowship and to the whole of the world. We don't know what's gonna happen. We know there's been about 90 of us that have been in training and we've been incubating now for months and we've been meeting together and practicing the principles of our fellowship. We want you to join us. I'm gonna say more about it next week, so I won't say a whole lot today, but I will say this. God longs for you to walk in the light as he is in the light. But then you will truly have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus Christ will purify you from all sin. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to strike the death blow and to win the war for us so that we no longer have to hide. God, we are accepted by you and we are loved by you fully, And Lord, thank you that you've given us the freedom to be honest about the true state of our souls. God, weave us together in such a way that the world sees us and unmistakably they know that it is your love that binds us together. Thank you that you are faithful. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Praise Fellowship Church.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.